Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, calling it in and I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement. It's uh, it's a new week here, beginning of April and uh, fun times abound. David, how goes it? That's good. It's good. No complaints over here. Uh, It is Masters weekend, so um, yeah, that's going to be what's on the docket for pretty much all weekend. That and Easter dinner. (laughs) Are you invited to play, David? Are you? uh, Are when's your tea time? Oh no, I'm not invited to play. I am not uh, wealthy enough or influential enough (laughs) to ever be invited to Augusta. Although that is a bucket list. bucket list thing for me um yeah so master's weekend easter lots of food uh gonna be a good time gonna be a good time happy easter to all of those who celebrate yeah or are forced to celebrate um just because that's how the calendar works and uh i tried uh tried today i was ordering some furniture and um apparently the company closed thursday uh for easter So uh, they're take, they're oh. really taking their time off. And this is like a Scandinavian Jeez. company. I thought these were the heathens. Oh <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit aggressive. I ordered, actually, you'll be uh, rather jealous. I have a 10-pound prime rib in the, uh, in the fridge right now. Very cool. Yeah. I've got a, um, so. a pork belly in the freezer that's waiting mm. for me. And uh, as I've mentioned before on the program we uh, did move to a new place and i did find out we have a basement area um no one monitors the electricity usage in the basement oh so i'm thinking either i hook up my bitcoin miner again or i'll get a deep freezer like a big old chest one throw in all the meat in there yeah we just got a deep freeze it's like a a mini one because we have limited space um like for like where it would go, where it wouldn't look weird. Um, but it's a game changer, total game changer. Just the ability to buy. Actually, that was one of the positive things um, out of COVID is a couple of the big wholesalers that supplied all the restaurants with, uh, with like steaks and chicken breast and like all the good meats. They went direct to consumer um, basically to survive and then realized, oh, wow, there's a lot of money to be made going direct to consumer here we're not just going to wholesale to restaurants and uh now you can just pick up like individually packed 10 pounds of chicken breasts it's like easy what's for dinner you took out chicken breast the night before bam uh saves a lot of time saves a lot of money i love the direct to consumer model and i know it's getting more popular and it, it should be i mean uh in the middle and I know you've studied a little bit, David, of, of how the food industry or the, uh, the, flu- the food supply chain kind of works. And what's so fascinating about it is, is just how many middlemen there are. And uh, we don't really have the connection that we used to. You know, I'm, I'm lucky here in that, uh, you know, our family knows a couple of farmers out in the, out in the wilderness there. And they, they got a couple cows and <laughs> we can stop by their place, get some meat, put it in the, the ice pack and then, you know, enjoy that whenever we can. But most of the time, you know, it's got to go to the the big, uh, I guess, processing plant. It's, and then it's get wrapped up. Then it goes here and then it goes to the store. And there's all kinds of different ways in the, in the middle. So who knows what. To, yeah, a lot of hands and a lot there. of margins. Yeah, a lot of hands and a lot of margins along the way there. Too many cooks in the um, kitchen. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh... I mean, one of the things I've always been envious of, I'm not a huge, like, I've, I've never hunted in my life. Um, but I do know some people, like, the crossover between the hunting and hockey world is, is pretty solid. Um, and people who go out and they get their deer tags and they shoot a deer and then take it to the, they dress it like field dresses so it doesn't go bad. They're not wasting it. I think that's pretty cruel when people just shoot things and leave them. Um, So yeah, they they dress it and they bring it to their butcher and their butcher basically carves it up um, to order. So you get your steaks, you get your ribs, you get your ground venison, you get all of that and then they throw it in the deep freeze and it's like you you literally just provided yourself like six months worth of various meats you turn it into sausages like steaks everything um that seems really cool to me just from like a you you you've just checked a box for for six not that you probably only want to eat venison for no but another thing six months but you you bring up a good point it's you know this thing that's denigrated all the time that's criticized all the time hunting of animals um, actually, in a way, is much more uh, favorable to the ecosystem, um, animal ecosystem, nature in general, than much of the modern food process, in a way. And well, it's certainly more humane. It's certainly yeah. more humane. It, and it, 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 the thing, when people complain about hunting, but they also eat meat, it's like, well, take a walk through the barn where the turkeys are kept or where the pigs are kept like it's not a pleasant experience um hunting something is is a lot more humane than those conditions I'm starting to sound like a vegan um. <laughs> well one thing that i i know that uh, i've woken up to and uh, you have we've written about it what's interesting is that you know the the people who work the land so called so we'll include hunters in that uh, but also the foresters, the guys who do forest management, the guys who are um, hunting, all of that, you know, this is something that generally is seen as somewhat cruel or industrial, but actually all this stuff is incredibly important. And, uh, you know, we have written about forest management, prescribed burns. Um, they're doing that in various parts of the country. I mean, that that's kind of stuff is actually pretty vital and important. And it's the same for with hunting. Uh, a lot of places, they've had issues where they don't issue enough licenses for a particular type of animal, and then you just have the, the fields are overrun with these animals, and they eat all the crops, or they uh, prey upon smaller animals. So you actually need to have good game wardens, good foresters. Mm-hmm. These guys have to be on top of it. And yeah, you, you kind of need hunting. Uh, you need it to keep animal populations low in certain areas. I know there are some places in Pennsylvania that were like issuing... Uh, wolf hunting licenses like crazy because the wolf population had just exploded and they were actually oh. coming into towns they were endangering people all the cows were getting killed so this stuff is like important wolf? um wolf probably not i haven't seen it on the menu no no i'm sure there's a process they probably turn it into well, actually, no. Turning into dog meat would be pretty cruel, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's like uh, in like a social network where he chickens. feeds the chicken to the chicken. Yeah, um, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, so no. speaking of getting, yeah, hunted, probably not. Speaking of getting hunted, um, I guess there's no more appropriate time for this clip, David. Because you'd be in jail. 
Uh, we've had the entire um, <laughs> Trump affair, which uh, distracted many of us. Um, I don't, yeah. don't want to talk about that too much. You've probably heard about it plenty and blah, blah, blah. Made plenty yeah. of fodder for CNN. Uh, what's the CNN view, David? I mean, I think the CNN is nobody's above the law. But I'm starting to see the tide turn in the media where, like, even the biggest skeptics of Trump, myself included, are looking at the merits here and going, hmm, this seems, this is uncomfortable, it's a a leap, Um, what are essentially like misdemeanor business crimes, um, being turned into a felony in a rather strange way. Um, the timing of it feels weird. Um, then again, some of it is like built into the U.S. system, right? You have a district attorney who's elected, and part of his campaign to get elected is to go after a particular person, which, for, as a Canadian, feels weird because it's like, oh, like my purpose is I elect me, and I'm gonna get this person. And it's like, mm, okay. Like, well, that's pretty unsettling almost, to everybody, I think. But yeah. Well, it, it's it's in the sense that like, um, like campaigning as if you're talking about like the head of the mafia or something in the 80s. Like you're going to go after Don Corleone or whomever. Like, okay. Um, but then to come forward with a bunch of business fraud potentially – Allegedly, um, just seems uncomfortable. I mean, like, th- there are some good reference points here. So, like, Peter Meyer, former congressman from Michigan, um, he was asked, I think, by Vanity Fair, and he was like, Yeah, he's like, Do we really want to cross the Rubicon of trying to stretch misdemeanors into felonies? Like, this is pretty weak sauce. And he was like one of the biggest anti Trump guys in Congress, so much so that he was primaried by. A Trump person and lost and and is no longer in Congress. Um, you make a so good like point though st- about the 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 systemic differences between U.S. and Canada. Great crossover we talk about every week here on Consumer Choice Radio, uh, and it's it's funny because I just saw the election results. I mean, it's funny election results for judges <laughs> that yeah. came out of the uh, U.S. This is uh, I believe is in Wisconsin nuts. Um, so yeah, they Wisconsin, lost the yeah. So the Wisconsin, um, I believe it's to the Supreme Court. So I've also voted as an American voter. I have voted for Supreme Court justices. Um, I think it's one of the dumbest thing to ask people to vote on because you literally know nothing. The campaigns are really strange. Um, this time they just happened to, you know, ramble on about abortion. So it was pretty clear which side you would come on that when you went to go vote. But isn't it strange that in the Canadian model, you don't vote for justices or prosecutors or something like that? You know, it's so you don't have that that actual, you know, political drive. And I think to your point, that's what happens with the New York prosecutors. It's like, hey, I'm going to get him no matter what. We're going to find something which if you apply that to any person who's living anywhere, you know, you've committed some kind of felony at some point. I mean, I was driving a bit fast this morning. Uh, in some oh, places uh, that yeah. who knows <laughs> yeah every everyone has committed a crime that would ruin their career i think the the uh, stat is uh, you in the u.s at least you you commit at least three felonies a day on average 
um, every yeah. person. Uh, there's there's something <laughs> on the book, and they're not done writing laws. Uh, there's been a lot of laws that were, have been introduced in the past two weeks. Um, we can talk about that in the next segment, David. But um, a lot of this stuff stems from uh, some of the things that you'll be talking about on a uh, Twitter Spaces that um, the uh, the listeners to the podcast version. Um, we'll we'll send a link afterwards, uh, but that's happening uh, or did happen this week <laughs> using my predictive yes. uh, powers and uh, talking about whether or not, you know, there are nuanced tools at government's uh, sort of disposal to address TikTok. And um, mm-hmm. I'm being very nuanced in that uh, there are many different powers that governments could use and some that they are introducing or trying to give themselves that go much beyond just addressing TikTok. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think I think you've raised a very good point on forced divestiture. I mean, it's not a great path, but it is certainly a, a, a middle road solution that allows people to still have fun using TikTok without um, without the kind of nefarious links to the CCP. Um, and I always find it funny when some object to that approach and being like well should the government have the power to do that and it's like well whoever says that must be against all antitrust law like if the government has the power to break up companies um, or prevent mergers and acquisitions then it certainly has the power for forced divestiture like if you like that great if you don't fine but you gotta like there has to be some level of um understanding that that is within the power of the federal government to um to intervene um in those instances it's usually best if they intervene less um but then obviously there are cases where it's warranted um and i i just find that like a lot of a lot of progressives right now are doing a lot of are doing some mental gymnastics on this because They'll be like, well, no, like forced divestiture, why? This is racist, it's not. Um, but then at the same time, they want to break up big tech and they want like Facebook to be forced to sell Instagram. And it's like, well, how do you hold those two views? Like, one is the example of TikTok and ByteDance is certainly more nefarious than, um, than, the Facebook Instagram example. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of worse ones and I look forward to your Twitter space. We'll, uh, we'll link to it. Uh, but that's, uh, yeah, we'll hear more about that in the next segment. You're listening to consumer choice radio. There's nothing and welcome back to consumer choice radio. Uh, right before we went to break, we were discussing, uh, some of the finer nuances of the TikTok debate. And uh, David made a very good point that uh, many of the people who are standing up and saying, oh, how dare the government uh, intervene um, in what is happening with this uh, digital app are the very same people who are trying to break up many of the companies, uh, including Meta, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, uh, blocking it from uh, trying to make different acquisitions. You know, it's it's this kind of thing to where, all right, well, um, people like their little... Um, are they just called TikToks? You call them TikTok Reels? I think it's just TikToks, right? 
just TikToks. Yeah, TikToks, yeah. So people like their TikToks, right? And they like watching the video. And it's like, okay, well, we can't do this. Um, innovate and another company will do it. All right. Well, another company kind of does it. Uh, Meta has the Instagram reels. Well, well, uh, you know, there are people who would like to break that up and not allow people to do it. So w- what are we actually going after here? Uh, I think the entire point of the TikTok debate should not be about algos. It has to be about ownership. No. And that's why the forced divestiture yeah. option is the best. Because people are going to, like, if you actually come out and say, we are banning TikTok, and I've seen um, some screenshots of folks that TikTok is now doing a call to action. I mean, Gen Z, um, you're going to lose it. Like, not everybody's going to vote TikTok as their number one issue, but it stays in the back of their mind. And, like, for a generation, you could have it to where, you know, whatever party, and right now it seems rather bipartisan, but whatever party you know, trumpets on the the worst might get really punished on this in the end. Well, the thing is, is it's bipartisan in the strangest way because you have like the reactionary Republicans like Josh Hawley who just think that social media is evil and corrupting our children. Um, And that is like in part their justification for wanting to push this. Um, We're really, it is just a matter of ownership what the PRC can demand of TikTok's uh, parent company, and if you get geopolitical, what does that mean for um, what does that mean for potential conflict in Taiwan? Like, I think it's a pro- I don't, what's your I think it's appropriate that the um, the like various government institutions have said, okay, you can't have this on your phones a- anymore. Um, I think that makes a lot of a lot of sense, but I'm not sure if I'm alone on that one. And the the previous examples, so in the in the states and Canada has a sort of similar body, but they have essentially the Committee on Foreign Investment, which looks at any major purchase that's done by any foreign person, and it is put in a couple of buckets. If it's a guy from Canada that's just trying to buy, you know, whatever company, that's in the green bucket, right? If it's one, some guys from Cuba trying to buy something, oh, we're going to put that in the yellow bucket. If it's somebody from Russia now, China, North Korea, you're in the red bucket, right? So you have these different categories. And the U.S. has blocked strategic investments before, um, specifically those of solar panel companies. It's really strange examples. <laughs> Not like we have any of the the actual you know, uh, rare earth minerals anymore. I actually read that China's trying to ban export of rare earth minerals too, which would be pretty, uh, that'd be pretty drastic. Be a big geopolitical play right there. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be pretty big. We'd, <laughs> oh, looks like there's another war in Africa. You know, we might have to go invade. Uh, I think what, um, with, with the different categories, and I mentioned the bills um, that have been introduced, and the one specifically, there's one called the Soil Act. And it comes from this um, preoccupation with the buying up of farmland, uh, particularly out in the Midwest, uh, Oklahoma, and these kind of places. And there's a, there's a bill that essentially the idea is that it would ban the Chinese Communist Party and its related entities from buying up farmland. Now, actually reading through this, it's a bit, it's a bit broader, and it would make it so that you, David, if you wanted to buy a patch of land in Vermont, you would also need to go up between the, you know, the com- uh, Committee on Foreign Investment, make your case, have all kinds of documents, and it would make it basically up to the uh, Secretary of Agriculture to 
rubber stamp or green light your purchase of that land just because you happen to be a foreigner. And I know Canada has a separate relationship and a different way of dealing with this, particularly in areas because of housing and, you know, British Columbia and you have a various tax, but I, I, I find this because if you're going to be a free country, you should be a free country. I don't think we should be any kind of country that wants to be free should not look and and say, hey, you need to have X and Y passport in order to do this, right? That is that is my own optimistic hope for a nation that I would like. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there, there has to be a geopolitical lens to it, right? Like, um, would you want the Chinese buying like a major oil refinery in the United States? Probably not. When I say the Chinese, I mean the Chinese government. I don't mean Chinese people. There's a difference. And a lot of people don't distinguish between the two and it gets messy. Um, because there'd be like some sort of geopolitical or, or some semiconductor manufacturing plant in Arizona. Like that would be a little strange uh, and probably subject to review. But a, some European guy wanting to buy a farm in North Carolina, uh, I don't think there's any reason to really want need to have these extra levels of of hoopla um to review that and uh for hoopla there's something i learned there's a, actually a a label in uh tariff law or like market law commercial law um that denotes non-market economies so you know the countries that are on this list it's very interesting armenia azerbaijan belarus china georgia Republic of Georgia, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, oh. Russia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Vietnam. So all of these are non-market economies, according to the uh, U.S. State Department and tariff law and all this kind of stuff. And they're also, in this bill, will be subject to those same restrictions. I find it strange that Georgia's mm. on there. I mean, I'm pretty sure the State Department sends them money. Yeah. And what about why Moldova? <laughs> well, the, I thought they're one of the good guys. Well, the the idea is that Moldova is like very close to Russia, and yeah, it's just uh, it's like a backdoor. That's what they think, and they think there's a lot of Russian assets there, and and who knows? But you know, does, I don't know if it's a non-market economy. It's not a socialist country, as far as I understand, but. I don't know. There's all these kind of things with law. And um, anytime you have a super bipartisan bill that's introduced, um, very it's usually it's usually bad. <laughs> that's put together and it's seemingly out of nowhere and it ends up being a thousand pages. And it's like, whoa, what's this about? Uh, usually it's time to step back because there's a lot of stuff in there that actually could impact, you know, a small business owner in some town that's just trying to import some steel or somebody that, you know, wants to buy some land here or there. And uh, the Restrict Act. Uh, does relate to TikTok, but that even goes further. It basically gives mm -hmm. power to the Secretary of Commerce to say, hey, look, uh, you're using a VPN and that VPN's located here. Uh, you're not only being fined $200,000, but you're going to jail for 20 years. Um, what? Right to jail. Yeah. Go to jail. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to do a callback. This seems like the Darth Vader, like Dick Cheney days of congressional power rather than the Biden days. It feels as if there's a lot of evilness on the side of this. Yeah. That's and I think we we need more people in Congress who could just be like, uh, I can't vote yes on this bill because they didn't give us enough time to read it. Oh yeah, 
Well, uh, Thomas Massey like still kind of does this every now and then. Yeah, yeah, he does. But we lost Justin Amash, Peter Meyer was someone like that. I think Mark Sanford probably would have fallen into that category. Um, maybe I'm just too nostalgic for the, the Republican Party of better days. But, um, yeah, like, sorry, I, I can't vote yes because we got the text yesterday. We vote on it today, and it's 12,000 pages. It's literally so not possible. Even time. chat GPT could not read this thing fully. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good one it's a nice little joke are you uh did you mess around with it a little bit more chat gpt at all i have not really d- dug into it uh i probably should because a lot of people are like oh this is super helpful with like basic tasks but uh yeah it's yeah. like input output you still have to put in a lot of input um, in order to get that but yeah it is true and well and you mean you i have messed around with it you know Everybody obviously just does their own name and asks for the bio. I think I sent you yours a while back. It said yeah. it said you're a think you're yeah. at a couple think tanks. You know, you've, I don't know what it didn't mention. Yeah. You're running Did, for parliament, unfortunately. <laughs> no, um, probably for the best. But um, yeah, it, it it was pretty good. It had a couple errors, but uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, and there's a lot of yeah, uh, focus on this, um, not just from. Um, Microsoft, which did purchase the rights to ChatGPT and will be integrating it into Bing, but Google has its own version. And uh, now we're mm-hmm. seeing even more countries come out and restrict um, not just AI, but specifically ChatGPT. I don't know if you've seen this chart, but Russia, China, Italy, Iran, Afghanistan, Venezuela, Belarus, and North Korea. So all of the I mean, non-market of economies countries... plus Italy, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, all of the, I was going to say all of those countries that don't have a free press, you can't have a chat bot that generates answers that the state doesn't like. So I understand like Russia, North Korea, etc. Italy is a real strange one for me. Yeah, and our, our Italian colleague um, assures us it's uh, a wacky policy that won't actually be implemented. Uh, but Germany is actually mulling uh, something very similar, which, you know, it's either a we're going to protect jobs or this innovation is happening too fast. We need to have the EU, you know, pump out some terrible legislation that will take 15 years to implement. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. I mean, the protect jobs one is always so funny. because It's just like, oh, you want to make more jobs? Let's just ban farm machinery. Yeah, or force everybody to make use spoons instead people... of backhoes. You know, we can do that, too. The old uh, Milton Friedman China example for people who may may not know that reference. It's an old story of when Milton Friedman went to China, and uh, they were they were explaining how many people were working on the farm, and he had asked something along the lines of, "Well, why don't you use these machines, or why don't you use the kind of modern technology available?" And the response is, "Well, this keeps people employed." And then his response was, "Why don't you use spoons?" <laughs> It's like it's the same logic. Um, That's perfect. Employ more people. So just dig dig one tablespoon at a time. So David, I have a proposal for you. I think we need to form our own consulting firm and attempt to get a contract with the federal government of Canada 
because that seems to be the most lucrative thing nowadays. And they're apparently handing out $100 million oh. contracts like candy. A uh, new article from Globe In and perpetuity. Mail. Ottawa did not disclose $146 million contract with Accenture, which is a private uh, contracting firm. So um, this is a contract, and there have been others, McKenzie and Company, KPMG, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Del the big four. Um, looks like Trudeau has been leaning on them very heavily. Um, I think we need to get um, Osaski and Clement Consulting on the list. I don't know. Yeah, that would be nice. Get some get some money to do nothing. Um, or I mean, just to, of, to give your opinion, basically. <laughs> well, I've always said that I gladly volunteer to be the bad idea meter in Ottawa and just be like, completely nonpartisan, just be like, mm, bad idea, don't do that. Trudeau on Truth and Reconciliation Day going on vacation and surfing in Tofino. Hmm, maybe push that. Maybe push that a day. Um, or the, the, the newest one. Love, love it. Love it. Because it is so peak Canada right now. Where uh, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, his sister-in-law, is now like the interim ethics commissioner <laughs> to review all of this stuff. And it's like... How on earth? I don't know anything about her. I'm sure she is a com very competent professional. But just the optics alone, who? someone has to be in the room going, maybe not, maybe don't pick her, given that she's your sister-in-law. Um, probably a bad idea. I don't, it I, looks bad. I don't think they care about, what, considering the... Uh... The millions of dollars they've given to the media, I'm pretty sure no one cares about optics anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we'll hear about uh, that and much more here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, the uh, hypocrisy, it seems, David, is a big thing, a uh, big theme of the hour. Uh, but we're looking forward to more here. Stay tuned to Consumer Choice Radio on Saga 960 AM and Coastal Carolina Network. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. You're listening here on Saga 960 AM, Coastal Carolina Network, and right there in your pocket on the podcast feed. By the way, if you want to listen on Podcasting 2.0, pick up yourself a modern podcast app, newpodcastapps.com. Uh, there are great apps that are out there that give you all kinds of new functionalities. Uh, Podverse, my uh, personal favorite of the moment. Also, CurioCaster, Fountain. Um, you can actually load up a little wallet there with um, Bitcoin. You can send that. You can see chapters. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, new tags that are being inserted. It's the, it's the new dawn of podcasting. Um, you don't have to use Spotify, folks. It's an open ecosystem, at least for now, until uh, there's a forced divestiture out there. So <laughs> um, that kind of stuff is fun. So, but David, before we went to uh, break, we we're discussing the, um, the hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, contracts. Uh, where the government has been um, asking these consulting firms for, we actually, do we know? Do we know what they're doing? I mean, apparently it was on things like uh, COVID, but... No, it's other things they, as well. What kind of, how, how expensive are these PowerPoints is my question. And it just raises the question of like, okay, well, why do we have the public service? Right. If you're gonna yeah, why do people work and get political science degrees, which, you know, it's like 
it's like our people it's like you either go work in the government or blah, dot 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 yeah yeah but it's like why have the public service if you're going to outsource the the work it seems like a huge redundancy um that doesn't make any sense to me i mean i can understand in some instances where like if you're trying to cost something out you outsource it to the folks who are the best at costing things out um but in a lot of instances these people suck at costing things out or their forecasts i mean look at the what was it cnn go <laughs> which lasted for <laughs> about a month before it failed and i forget which of the big firms was the the firm responsible for all the planning and logistics for it but they were like oh yeah we estimate like 15 million subscribers in uh in the next three years with a break-even point of X. And it's like the thing bombed like day four. And it was when everyone was streaming. Do you know, I think here's my um, theory as to why the government is contracting. And it's, um, it's something that happens a lot, particularly in national defense and national security stuff. It's a way to get around Freedom of Information Act request mm, stuff. Yeah. To where a lot of these hard decisions of like, all right, how many grandmas are going to be killed today? Um, if that's like on the notes of the, you know, meeting of, uh, you know, the Trudeau ministers, that is publicly available. But if that conversation happens in the offices of KPMG or Accenture, uh, you can't technically get that. You can get the contract that says how much and kind of what they're doing, yeah. but you're not going to get the internal. So it is a way a lot of national defense stuff is done that way too, to where they just contract it out to Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Martin or something. And then defense department doesn't know everything, yeah. which is kind of how they're probably keeping the aliens. David, that's my, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the worst, the, wacky, the uh... worst contract is the McKinsey one. Cause it was signed for like 80 years. And it's like, how is it? I mean, eight how years. is the government signing contracts beyond its term? Like nothing should be beyond twenty twenty five, when when we have to have another. I mean, election. nothing should be. It shouldn't be beyond ninety days. I mean, um, I I really detest this, by the way, in um, in politics where people say, "Oh, well, over the next five years, we're going to spend X and Y." It's like you can't even guarantee you're going to be there in five years. Yeah. I mean, you could lose tomorrow. Yeah. Like, there could be a snap vote, yeah. all this, new election. So, yeah. get out of here. If, yeah, all it would take is Jagmeet Singh to change course, and then, bam, you have an election. And I just I just don't understand um, how you justify that. How do you do that? If you're an NDP guy right now, are you satisfied with this... Um, coalition type government where NDP plays at once the critic and part of the government and are you satisfied really if you're an NDP voter I have no idea I I, I mean they 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 will claim well we got dental care we got ten dollar a day daycare etc um they didn't um one is a check the dental care thing um and the daycare one which is a uh, i mean we're we're starting to look around for our daughter and a lot of the a lot of the places are responding be like okay yeah you're added to the wait list or uh, the estimated opening is uh September 2024 um so not really what you're looking for 
<laughs> oh, that's low. I mean, here we know that we've had subsidized kindergarten uh, here in Austria for a long time. So essentially the baby pops out and you got to put that thing on that list right away. We, we already have done this for the elementary school as well. Um, I think uh, our daughter was, uh, I think, two. And uh, so essentially four years ahead of time, you got to put them on the list for the uh, primary schools. Much the same. As soon as government, you know, subsidizes something, there's less of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, Slots for school. I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's, the, it's what everyone warned about. Um, it's what everybody warned about in regards to this daycare plan. Not that there isn't some benefit to um, providing some financial relief for families because it's a huge, it can be a huge cost. Um, it can be such a huge cost that for a lot of working class families, the, the cost benefit analysis of having one of the parents just stop working equals out. Because I mean, if you have a modest job um, and you're, you, you can have one of the parents' salaries essentially after taxes and whatever else, um, barely, just covering the daycare costs if you have more than one kid. Um, and so that uh, that's not a great scenario, but at the same time, whatever plan you do roll out, you need it to uh, you need it to be quick and impactful. It can't take years to materialize. Um, and that's, I think, where we are right now. Yeah, and I've I've seen, um, of course, the linguistics plays into this because then it's um, you know we provided daycare, right? That that becomes a tagline. So whenever they want to criticize the plan, it's like, oh, are you against daycare? <laughs> are you against the idea of daycare? Is that your is that your whole shtick? Is that are you against? Dental plans? Is that? Yeah. Is that the, I, I absolutely detest this. Friedrich Bastiat, you know, called this many centuries ago that, you know, just because we say that the government shouldn't subsidize something does not mean that we do not believe it should exist. <laughs> just allow people to create their own plans and have a, a free competitive market. And um, too many bad incentives are baked into the system that who knows? And I, I feel bad uh, here in in the, in the city of Vienna, you know, there's a guy that I know who is the deputy mayor, a uh, young fella, and he is technically in charge of education for the entire city. So I can call him up and complain. And, um, but the thing is, is what can you really do when there's so much that's baked in, there's so many regulations baked in, so many subsidies baked in, what can you do for reform really? Um, you could say open it to the market, but many people are apprehensive to ever go for that. So you have to think about vouchers and you got to think about all this stuff. Um, there are a lot of people who do well, yeah. things similar to us, David, um, instead of consumer choice, they do education choice and, um, it's, it's tough work. So I do praise them. Well, and, and on the daycare side, the far superior option would have been vouchers that can be used. So like the, the example was the, the $10 a daycare, um, set up if you can get a spot it's great obviously that reduces the the cost of childcare exponentially um, but there are some important caveats to that that's if you get a spot and two if your employment scenario fits within the nine to five mold um, and how many people whether it be manufacturing or in the service industry don't fit that mold and so 
the the ten dollar a day care program just isn't for you because you work nights or you work afternoons and you're a server like it just doesn't work work for you because there are it's not that there aren't slots it's just that it is not offered and so you could have rather had a voucher program that provided the same relief but added some flexibility um, or maybe you're maybe you're taking your voucher money and you're compensating. Uh, a family member or a grandparent or you're doing in-home care. It's like There are all sorts of other options that would have been made available to families that provides the same relief um, without the hurdles and without the logistics and without waiting a year and a half for a spot to open up. Absolutely. And are you, um, here's a, a general pivot, David. How are you feeling about about things now as a homeowner? Are you viewing uh, policy discussions a bit differently? Is it does it kind of hit you different when you, people are talking about um, you know taxes and uh, property stuff? You know, how is that different for you? Yeah, I mean it's a little different um, because you you have more of a sense of longevity um, because you're tied to a home and a property for. Um, for a very long time, unless you sell. Um, and so that gives you a bit of a different lens to, to view things in terms of the longevity of that when you're renting. Whether you want to stay there for a long time or not, there is always that kind of underlying perception of mobility. Um, and so, yeah, when things happen or when things are discussed, then you start to really like, Okay, well, how does this? How does it impact me now? But how would it impact me in ten years, um, or how would it impact me in five years when we have to refinance, things like that? So it does change your perspective a bit. Yeah, I, I can speak to the uh, sort of any moment's notice we could be kicked out um, <laughs> mentality, which I uh, had to suffer through. Uh, but the you know, with the the housing conversation, I, I really hope it's evolving. Um, I think it's evolving very well in Canada. There are a lot of good debates about it. There are different things that are being done, different things being discussed. Um, I know Scott Asensen, um, minister, friend of the show, uh, he's been doing a great job highlighting a lot of this stuff and specifically as well where uh, the Trudeau government has, has failed or, you know, just has not been able to articulate it because, of course, the Trudeau answer, much like the grocery stuff, is, well, we just give um, give everybody more of everyone else's money. Yeah. We'll just do that. Yeah. That solves everything. Well, and I loved Scott's response. So he had a press scrum. And because the conservative approach is a lot more aggressive. It's using a stick rather than a carrot with municipalities to, to get them to build. And one of the reporters asked, like, well, do you really think that that's the best way? Like, the liberals are kind of offering carrots. Um, like, do you think that that's, a, that's the better approach is to use carrots to incentivize rather than use a stick to punish? And, he, like, you saw his eyes light up and he scoffed. And he's like, well, when are they going to start? I mean, it's been eight years. Like, yeah, we, I think the proof... The proof's in the pudding here. I don't think he said the proof's in the pudding, but he's like, when are they? He was just baffled by the question. He's like, well, I mean, it's not like they took government a week ago. Like, they've been in power for almost a decade. Oh, that's such a strong point. Yeah, I, I, I think the 
the focus on a lot of the municipal politics as well and some at the provincial level, you know, that helps and it helps to have um, great guests as well who can talk about that. Um, thinking of Nathaniel Erskine Smith, um, any updates in that liberal race? I haven't uh, haven't followed up. I don't know. Um, no, it's still like it's mostly kicking the tires. There's still a long time before the next uh, provincial election, so it's all of the pre build up before like people officially announce and then the campaign starts. Um, I mean, to be honest, right now everyone is running for mayor. Um, there's like. Two or three former MPs, <laughs> former MPPs, uh, city councillors. The field is like 20 people who are all serious contenders. And uh, like a former police chief, all, like the whole list. I think it's actually possible that the mayor of Toronto, uh, the next mayor of Toronto could become mayor with like less than 30% of the vote. Um in the election, which would be Ouch. wild, but just because it's such a crowded field. It would. Yeah, that's indeed why we'll keep an eye on that. And um, I will say to the listeners, David, we're going to have uh, hopefully some good news um, from your end. And for uh, those of you who like to watch television and the like, uh, might have some good news here soon. Uh, no spoilers, but uh, hopefully we can announce that next week or the week after. <laughs> uh, so uh, exciting yep. times ahead. Yeah, that's the goal. Uh, well, David, it's been a pleasure. Let's uh, let's catch up uh, next week. Yeah, until next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>